Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget we'll bring you a new episode of Over the Farmgate every Tuesday, so make sure that you're subscribed on your favourite platform. In this episode we're taking a look around the marts. Later on I'll catch up with Cheffins following their latest Cambridge machinery sale. But first we're headed to the livestock rings where prime prices for both cattle and sheep remain high. I spoke with three young auctioneers about the current market trends and what the future may hold. I'm G from Bridge North Market um, in Shropshire. We also have markets down in South West Wales. Uh, Greg Christopher from Hereford Market and Belfast Market Auctioneers um, covering the Welsh borders, Herefordshire and Mid Wales. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm Will Alexander. I'm one of the auctioneers up at Bentham Auction on the North Yorkshire Lancashire border. If we want to talk about prime sheep, first of all, I mean, Will, do you want to take us through a little bit about what you're seeing at the market at the moment and in the past few weeks? Yeah, no, we're, uh, things are pretty good, you know, right across all prime sectors, but in the sheep especially, things are uh, fairly buoyant, really. I was just having a little look through before, and uh, the 8th of September is so the last Wednesday, with 3,033 lambs, you know, prime lambs, and the average 236 pence per kilo as an SQQ. You compare that to this time last year, it was 2,850, and the average 206, kind of up 30 pence. You compare that back to 2019, so there's 2,200 and the average 165 pence, so the 70 pence dearer. So there's there's a, a serious kind of you know year on year trend there, and you look at it like that, and, and things are uh, things are pretty buoyant, um, and it's been kind of uh, well received by all the farmers as well. Uh, I'm actually hoping it's a trend that kind of continues going forward, but it kind of uh, does get people a bit edgy, doesn't it, when things get dearer and dearer? Things it's going to burst at some point. It can't last forever. So uh, I think the national thing as well. It's you know right across the board. We, Everyone's seen these these strong prices. Yeah, no, I think the lambs have been um, have been the dearest but we've probably seen all the way through the um, you know from the spring, summer, and uh, the autumn trade has has been it's probably the dearest September we've ever seen. And September, October, January is when the lambs are under the most pressure with the breeding season. That tends to be when the trade is possibly at its lowest. Um, but it's been um, you know producers that have fed them and crept fed are certainly having a premium. There's a, a mm. bit of a two tier trade uh, trade coming between some lean lean lambs, which perhaps are better marketed in the stores. Um, but yeah, no, the confidence is very high in the sheep sector. We've certainly seen that more and more people asking for them fed lambs, you know, and yeah. you can see the difference in the prices. And we're kind of relaying that back to the farmers um, and, and tell them to feed them, you know, make sure you feed them. And just interestingly, we were at the Westland show uh, last Thursday and we were talking to uh, one of our customers, his son drives for Dugdale, a, a feed firm in the Northwest. And they said they've had one of the busiest Augusts like they've ever had, and the majority of it delivering lamb creep. So it shows that, you know, the premium and the difference and what they're gaining, and us kind of telling people, make sure you feed them, it's kind of, it is a knock on right down the line, and people are kind of picking it up and saying, well, let's let chuck some bands of feed at them. And it's making a massive difference. And G, have you seen the same thing, a good mood all around the mart? Yeah, I think, as you both mentioned, the prime lambs. I've been a good trade, but I think the coal section has just been as good. Um, so they've sort of consistently been averaging £100 every week with all sorts of quality or close to. So I think that's also an added market. And um, yeah, everyone seems quite positive at the moment, which is good to see. We're, we're into that season for, for breeding sheep sales. I mean, how have we seen that knock on effect from, from the prime sector into, into the breeding sales? There's definitely been a knock on, you know, it's... It, like G said about the culls, you know, 
once over like an old an old mule you was was not worth a huge lot really. But, you know, like early on in the season when people started kind of drawing them early breeders, uh, you know, they sold the lambs early. They could come with the ewes, the old mule ewes, you know, they were coming for like 110 and 20 quids. And it's a long way towards a replacement. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a massive knock on down the line. We had our, you know, our sort of creme de la creme in the northwest and, and, and our sort of bread and butter really is the mule gimme lamb. Uh, and we just had a sale on Saturday actually. And there's 11, just over 11,000 went through on Saturday, 15,000 over the two days. And we have sales mules and massams and chibi mules on the Friday. But those North of England mule, ewe lambs, gimme lambs, they average £131.67. They're just short of £19 dearer on the year. Uh, you know, it'd be one of the best averages we've ever seen. Uh, and it just shows that the accumulation of well-bred, well-grown lambs that have had a good summer, plenty of lambs sold at big money, ewes coming to a lot of money, cools coming to a lot of money. It's, you know, it is everything just kind of aligning. And it's nice to see it right down the line that everyone's having a, a slice of the cake, really. And Greg, what have you seen um, being in demand at the, at the breeding sales? I think the, as we say, from the co you prices, um, the early breeding men sort of come out in July and they had a lot of money in the back pocket to spend. They'd obviously sold some big Suffolk mules, 130, 40 quid. Their first draw lambs were 130, 40 quid. And uh, our first few yearling sales, you know, there was plenty of yearlings from 200 to 220 um, and some sort of flock age, you know, Suffolk cross, three, four, Texel cross, flock age ewes, they were regularly 180 to 200 quid. So, it, you know, the men have come out and they spent it as well. It's always good to see. There's a little bit of sort of nervousness around the start of it all that, you know, we're going to try and just hold back a little bit and, and kind of just keep a bit in the pocket. But um, I think folks have realised that they just have to, you know, they've just got to give it, you know, they've just they've got to give the price to have the sheep to be able to sell them again next year, you know. It's, uh, and do you anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think it's been um, pretty similar across the board, really. Everyone's sort of, after selling their colliers and their prime lambs at such a good price, it seems to have, they have that money to spend. So, um, no, it's definitely having a good knock-on effect on the markets. Excellent. And if we want to carry on our bit of our whistle-stop tour and move over to, to cattle a little bit, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we've seen in the uh, prime markets there? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've had um, a real good trade on the prime cattle um, at Bridge North the previous weeks. Um, I think they averaged 290 last week. Uh, we've got a lot of sort of butchers and wholesalers um, and with the knock-on effects of sort of the pandemic and things, butchers are sort of seeking those uh, better quality, well-meated cattle, um, which seem to be coming forward at Bridge North Markets at the moment. So uh, no, they seem to be just as strong. We don't really do a huge lot. We don't do any of the sort of prime cattle side of things. You know, we, we do sort of quite a lot of the, uh, the forward stores and, you know, those big store cattle. Um, and the younger farmers, Sturks, we call them, you know, sort of like either side of yearlings. But we did have a, a sale just come Tuesday last week, uh, our sort of like September bullock sale, as we call it. Uh, but, you know, those big cattle, you know, they're soon racking up to 1,600, pounds, you know. Uh, and it's it, it's some go, really, because uh, it, it does just show that it's out there. But, um, yeah, there's obviously a bit of demand for the meat. And it's, you know, I think, as you said, the pandemic is just kind of... Uh, make people just think a little bit more about what they're eating and I think folk have maybe decided that they've a bit of cash and they can't go on holiday and they've not done this and they've not done that so they kind of I think folk are going out as well and that's certainly lifting things you know they've gone to the pub for tea and, and it's like you know they're treating themselves in different ways than you maybe have them in the past and uh and, and thankfully the farmers that are sort of reaping the rewards of that. 
Yeah, I suppose if you can't, can't go out to a nice restaurant for, for a steak, you may be going to buy it in and, and have a great yeah. dinner at home, aren't you? I mean, yeah. Greg, have you seen similar similar things there? Yeah, we're like, uh, like well, we don't sell, um, we haven't got a prime auction at any of our uh, markets, but um, August has been the big, busiest uh, sort of store cattle season we've seen for a long, long time. We saw just over a thousand cattle sold in two sales in August. Um, and as I say, yeah, there's any forward meat stores are 1,500 to 1,700. Um, and Bullock's an averaging, you know, averaging uh, sort of 1,080 to 1,150 is, is absolutely phenomenal for the time of year. Um, and I'd say the, um, the confidence is, you know, in the finishers is, is being, you know, reflected in the store value, which is good for the, the man who's calving the cows and doing the work. So, yeah, I think it, the beef is looking... I think the beef is possibly more settled than the lamb, I'd say, going forward. You'll see that way a bit at the moment, doesn't it? You know, the lamb, every so often, there's maybe a little a bit, a bit of a blip in the lamb train. It's kind of like, oh, is this, it? Is this going to be the start of the fall? But it does kind of seem to kind of level again. But the beef just has just held firm, you know, for I don't know how many weeks. It just seems to have not taken any sort of wobble, really, has it? No. No, no. And I think, as I say, the only, probably for the beef and the lamb, the, the lack of staff or there's a few places struggling for the staff due to COVID is probably the only thing in the next sort of three month period that I can see maybe just unbalancing the sort of supply and demand mm. chain it, you know I think there's there's a few firms this last fortnight you know got staff off in bowling halls and stuff like that so that you know that's coming into effect as well a little bit in the in, in sort of a not a very good time of year for the sheep sort of thing so that's might just be one thing to sort of take note of Looking forward, I suppose you, you've done a little bit there of it there for me, Greg. But looking forward, obviously we're we're coming up. Well, we're already in a, a time of major change for the agriculture industry. Obviously, with subsidies reducing uh, and everything else that's happening. I mean, how do you see that affecting you know trade in the in the coming month? I don't think it's I don't think it's going to have any difference at all. To be honest, I don't I think I don't think the subsidy. Uh, Certainly, in the finishing side of things, isn't going to make um, make them sort of hesitate. I think if if they're in the, in the system feeding cattle or feeding sheep, they're not sort of, certainly not going to rein the the system in just because of the reduced BPS. Um, obviously, the breeding man he may well feel differently in twelve or eighteen months' time. It just depends on the on the stock price he's receiving for it. So the next next summer and autumn, I would think. I would think if these prices that we're kind of seeing at the moment kind of continue going forward and and sort of over that that gap of the uncertainty of kind of BPS is all changing and all that. I think if we kind of see these continued, what we call it now, high prices, if this is the new norm, you know, it kind of bridges the, it bridges the gap of what BPS could kind of, you know, the shortfall of BPS could be kind of made up from the, from the um, additional sort of higher prices, so to speak. But... It's just a bit of a, it's all a bit of an unknown. I think there will be sort of different schemes out there for people. It's just, the minds are a little bit harder to realise, mightn't they? Um, harder to kind of achieve, maybe. But it is very much, and we're all very uncertain about the about the whole Brexit and all that. And we're all anxious about that Brexit and COVID. And, and you know, we're on the other side of it now. And we've, we've come through singing and dancing, really, haven't we? You're all members here of the of the LAA's Next Generation Group. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I know, Greg, you're the vice chair of that group. Do you want to tell me a little bit about, about the group and um, why you're all members of it? Well, it was I think it was launched five or six years ago. Um, a few younger members uh, of the association decided they wanted to, um, you know, they've been to 
the national LEA meeting and, and your boss and your partners and all that go there and and sort of the younger generation was sort of half being shot down because their superiors were there or they didn't want to say something stupid in front of their superiors. So it sort of it, it stemmed from that to give them a, you know, to give the younger members a, a sort of a voice going forward. Um, and obviously that is then uh, portrayed back to the council meeting. So it goes back to national level. So we're having a bit of an input into the council and, you know, they're asking our opinion on different bits and pieces, which is always nice. Um, and it's got sort of, you know, it's got a nice bit of steam together and there's probably 30 to 40 members. And um, it's, it's since Anna has joined uh, joined the LA, it's, it's been pushed again in the last six months, which is very good to see. And it's it's probably as strong as it's been since it started. So, yeah, no, it's, it's looking good. Social side of things is quite good with it all as well, isn't it? You know, just for yeah. like-minded like people to kind of meet up and have a bit of a chat and, you know, as young auctioneers and stuff, you kind of do... You do learn off people a little bit, don't you? You just kind of pick things up and, you know, really want to. You probably wouldn't really spend a huge lot of time sort of interacting with, with your cuts. Rival firms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and rival firms, exactly right. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, you can kind of, it's good to have a bit of rivalry and a bit of competition because it's what drives Definitely. the trade a little bit, isn't it? But it's uh, it, it's good to sort of kind of put your heads together as well and just kind of, uh, you know. You know, you meet somebody from sort of Devon or whatever and you can, if somebody comes along and wants to buy some sheep or cattle, and you don't know and a quick phone call to Russell or somebody else or Will in the north, you know, you can just ask a few questions and without yeah. sort of doing too much personal business, you can find out and sort of, you know, it's all it all fits in and works nice, I think. Yeah. As much as we're right, we've got to work together in it all as well, haven't we? You know? Gee, I don't know that you want to answer this of you know, how have you found coming into coming into the industry as a as a young auctioneer? It's um been a challenge and it's been sort of quite daunting but um we went to the meeting with the next generation down in oxford uh, not so long ago and it was sort of such a confidence boost to sort of discuss to the other people that are sort of in, at the same level their experiences how they're finding it how they're coping with things and just to sort of know you've got the same thoughts as someone else you're not alone and it's just yeah it's a good social event and just to sort of get out there and get to know other people within the industry really and I know as well, you know, with your role as auctioneers, I suppose part of your role is going to be reaching out to that that next generation of, of farmers as well as, you know, your, your, your um, peers as auctioneers. I mean, do you want to tell us a little bit about how, how you're reaching out to communicate with that next generation? A lot of that, you know, we, we're doing a massive amount more through the likes of Facebook, um, you know, and that sort of online presence. Uh, you know, like you talk to my... My boss probably listened to this, but he talked to, to Stephen and he wouldn't have a clue. You know, just, you know, Facebook, it's just, it's completely foreign territory. I think that's a lot of that is, uh, you know, seen in the next generation, in the older generation, should I say. Interesting, I was talking to a chap on the phone. I said, I've got to go, uh, I've got to go, I'm off to do a podcast with the farmer's guide. And he said, a what? A pod what? And, you know, it just kind of shows that, you know, some people are completely clueless with it all. But the next generation, they want it on the go, on the phone. You know, they don't often sit down and read a paper or, or, or what have you, and it's just kind of reaching out and doing things maybe a little bit differently um, to, kind of, to, to kind of tackle them, you know, and to, and to make sure they're kind of seen and our presence is being seen by, by the people who are actually going to be driving our business in, in the years to come. Yeah, I suppose that's the, the other question, you know, how the industry's um, keeping itself, you know, relevant for, for farmers going forward. I mean, I don't know whether any of you have any thoughts on, on keep it, keeping, you know, the auction mark I suppose at the heart of heart of the farming community in the in the next few years and decades ahead. 
I think it's important that it's it's portrayed as a you know a, a very very good social you know where farmers if they haven't seen and they've got you know we all have the same problems or they have the same problems and at times they probably think they're the only ones having the problems where they can come to market for the day not only do they see the value of stock being sold or you know they also catch up listen to other people's problems I think it's it's very important that the social uh, life of, around a livestock market is sort of portrayed to the younger generation. I think it's very important. And that sort of leads on to, you know, obviously with COVID, when you've not been able to have people uh, around the ring or, or people in, in the cafes um, catching up, uh, how has it been for you guys since, you know, you've been able to get more people down in, in person? There's nothing better than a full ring, you know, like uh, as an auctioneer, you know, you, to have that kind of that ring full of, of customers and even just onlookers, you know, to create that atmosphere, you know, it's fantastic. And these big sales, like last year, it was just like, it's sometimes as good as things were, it just felt a bit deadbeat because it was just a bit flat, you know. Uh, but just to have those people back, and, you know, and people like like Greg said, realizing that it's a social event and it, it means so much to so many of these old boys. You know, they could have been retired 20 years, but they still come to the market every, every, every time there's a sale, you know. Uh, and it's just their life, you know, they just live for it. Uh, and it's just kind of, we are encouraging people to come back, you know, like the old live streams have become very popular and the amount of people that sit at home and watch it, you think if you could just come back and just be involved and, you know, it, you know, you kind of, it, it's kind of two way then, isn't it? Rather than just sitting at home and, and sort of just watching sheet memes or whatever. We had a big set, like, well, last, on the weekend, Friday, we had a, the Welsh Mills and just over 10,000 in Hereford. And as I say, last year, it, COVID restrictions, it was purchases only and it was, yeah, it, it, the trade was fine, but it you just lacked that atmosphere. But last Friday, well, it was full to the rafters and there was people everywhere and it, it had that atmosphere. And it was like the old, you know, back to the old days. And there was, um, you know, it just felt, felt busy and, and good to be back, you know, amongst people and seeing different people. It was, it was, you know, back to the old times. And you see people that you wouldn't necessarily see, you know, you maybe, you, you maybe ring, ring the man once or twice a year, but actually when he turns up, you can just have a proper chat with him. It's not just a... Uh, it's not just having a telephone call, it's, it's people that you, yeah, meeting up with people and catching up with them, it's just good for us, it's just for them a little bit, you know, uh, just to kind of know what we need, know what's going on out there as well, don't we? So Thanks to Greg, Will, Angie. Now, while there's strong demand for farm machinery around the world, major manufacturers are struggling to meet it due to global supply chain issues. And that means for those looking to purchase new machinery, they might be facing a long wait. Oliver Godfrey from Cheffin spoke to me about what impact this was having on the second-hand yeah, market. Yes, so another fantastic sale. Um, it's on the back of a, of a quieter August month. Normally, uh, we sort of follow in line with the harvest. So obviously, um, August is a quieter time for us. Farmers are on the land harvesting, or hopefully harvesting, depending on the weather. Um, it's been a frustrating time. Um, but yeah, so it was a very busy sale. So it was a, a an increased entry from our August sale to compare it to the last one before. Uh, we had just over 300 tractors. Uh, we had multiple lots of plant, machinery, hand tools, horticulture, everything in between. Um, so yeah, about just over two and a half thousand lots. Um, but yeah, it was good trade again. Um, yet again, we're, we're sort of have a, a good selling rate, um, a good hit rate, and then we're just looking for more kit. This is, the, this is our problem. Um, we can sell what we get but it's trying to replace those lots that we sell um, and trying to find uh, the new kit out there. Obviously with the pandemic, unfortunately, newer machines um, are not coming through quite so readily. The lead times on machines and delivery dates are being pushed forward for obvious reasons. Component parts are missing, 
shortages of materials, etc. Therefore, that's having a detrimental impact on the trading machine, secondhand stock, uh, and that's translating into sort of reduced numbers that we would normally get. We're, we're down probably, we had 300, over 300 tractors yesterday. We would hope to be up to sort of 400, 450. So that gives you an idea of the impact on some of the trading machines. It's not the only reason, um, but primarily um, what we get, we can sell very well. Um, it's just trying to find that stock month on month, which, um, yeah, is tricky at the moment. But uh, yeah, no, all in all, trade's still very good. Uh, export demand is still very good. Uh, we offer the, uh, since Brexit, obviously with the phytosanitary certification that's required um, for DEFRA. Um, so that, you know, that service we provide has helped our uh, sort of export buyers hugely. We offer sort of a one-stop shop for them. So uh, we've tried to sort of make it the transition as, as sort of easy as possible. So that's helping with that. Um, but yeah, all in all, trade, you know, was very positive. And I know you mentioned there about the impact of the new machinery market on your supply. Uh, that must also boost demand, though, if people are struggling to get hold of new machinery. Do they then look to the second-hand market? Absolutely right, yeah. So um, just to sort of break it down in terms of the monthly sale and on-site farm machineries or off-site farm machinery dispersal sales, that's golden, really. That's where you get the sort of premium prices straight from farm kit. Um, that trade, you know, we've got a very busy calendar of sales coming up. And the demand for good quality secondhand straight from farm stock is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you're right, where, where sort of producers grow as farmers can't get what they need in terms of new kit, they are definitely looking at good quality secondhand uh, machinery. Um, but yeah, it's um, we are seeing an uptick in that and farmers coming to our monthly sales looking to sort of, you know, stock up where they can't get it, get the new kit. And what particularly is in demand at the moment? So just good quality kit, really. Um, I think some dealers use, you know, in terms of end users, they're looking at different makes and models. Um, you know, it's just got to be good quality, high spec. You know, some enterprises might be looking at front linkage PTO. Uh, they might, you know, be looking at sort of lower hours or 50K machines or above, depending on what they're doing, their operation. You know, we get everything from a, a Massey 135 up to an R series John Deere. So, you know, we've got many different people and they're, they're looking for many different things uh, and because we offer choice they've got you know probably you know between two three four maybe five examples to choose from so they can compare and contrast i think it's quite interesting as well to look at you know you mentioned about exports there i mean what are where where are your buyers coming in from abroad and, and what are they looking for so they, I mean, all over the continent, basically, uh, we've got some great Spanish buyers, some good German buyers. Uh, there's also Eastern European buyers as well. They're looking for sort of, um, yeah, it all depends. It's a real myriad of, you know, different things that they're looking for. So we've got some great Spanish buyers who are looking for Fent, John Deere. They're looking for good quality machines that they can then sort of uh, move on to other countries uh, as well as their own. Uh, some of these European buyers, they're looking for class they're looking for some class tractors some good sort of good horsepower um good spec machines uh some of our german buyers are looking for big john deers um track machines as well um so yeah it's you know it depends on what stock we get entered in to the level of interest we get from those areas um but you know we're and we're we're actively trying to place these items as well so we know our buyers uh, we know what they're looking for so if we get machines in we're actively trying to sort of hunt it to them effectively and, and, and promote it that way and 
obviously looking forward uh, to, to your next machinery sales and, and beyond, you know, farming's got undergoing some pretty major changes at the moment and in the coming months and years. How do you expect that to impact on machinery sales? Um, I think it'll, the focus will be even more on secondhand kit with the rising price of new machines. Um, you know, financially, we all know what's coming ahead uh, over the sort of coming years, really, in terms of, of, of payment schemes and things like that. There's potentially less money available. So whether farming interests will look at, you know, stronger secondhand market and, and look at their fleet renewal and look at the depreciation, et cetera, and things like that. So I think the pressures on good quality secondhand kit will only increase in time. Um, I think at the moment we're just selling less for more, but until the new kit or the secondhand kit washes through the system in terms of the new kit being delivered and the trade-ins coming in, we won't really know stock levels until that happens, but it's going to be a gradual process. It's not going to be a sudden glut of new machines that get delivered. I think it's going to be very gradual, um, but I think the focus on good quality secondhand kit will only ever increase in the coming years. We certainly hope to anyway. Brilliant. And Obviously, the other thing, the other topic that's on everybody's tongues is, is COVID. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about, I suppose, the past 18 months and how COVID's impacted your machinery sales compared to, um, you know, now, hopefully, when we're, when we're coming out of the pandemic? Yeah, so, I mean, the pandemic has put huge pressure on a lot of people. I think, you know, farming, naturally, we tend to self-isolate and, and it's quite solitary in some respects. But from the auction point of view, what we do here is put an event on and we enjoy the social side. We like to, you know, we like to sort of pride ourselves, whether it be the monthly machinery sales or the farm sales is a, is a good social event for farmers uh, and dealers and traders alike. Um, so we've desperately missed that um, certainly last 18 months. Um, there's been sort of periods towards the end of last year where we could have live sales again. But what the pandemic has done is accelerate uh, the way in which we conduct sales. Um, we already all of our sales benefit from live internet uh, bidding, which uh, we had a very robust and uh, what a brilliant system already in place, but that was then harnessed really when during the sort of lockdown periods, we could still conduct dispersal sales or monthly machinery sales here via either timed online or live online bidding. So um, yeah, it's, it's probably accelerated the whole process forward between three to five years something like that it's been a revelation really and because everybody's had to adapt at the same time um, while some people some of the real sort of um, die-hard sale lovers were dead against the online side of it really see the benefits of it now uh, every everybody's life is busy um, you know and when we take a million pictures of a tractor video there's no real need sometimes for people to even attend the sale people are happy to buy significant machines that are worth a lot of money without seeing them until they get on a lorry and, and turn up in their yard um, people can really see the benefits of it um, and that that has been a real revelation and going forward from now um, you know we've got that established system in place on the timed online sales I mean even the monthly sales here we were still doing our drive-through physically driving the tractors through but selling to a laptop ultimately like we are talking now um, you know, it's quite odd as an auctioneer, but, you know, it, it's lovely to see the people back at sales. That's what we really miss is pressing the flesh, seeing the people because um, you miss those contacts, you know, the gossip and everything else that goes with it. The bacon rolls, ultimately, um, you know, you can't get those virtually online. So but yeah, so it is 
whilst it's been you know devastating in many ways from a business point of view it's enabled us to do many things differently whether we've applied that to our vintage sales as well so some items are sold purely through a timed online basis as well as live uh, and we get sort of hybrid auctions in the end so yeah the, it was always heading this way just the nature of of modern life is is all online and instant and everything else so yeah it's there's been some pluses to it and I know you said there that you were glad to see faces uh, back around the rings, um, but you know for for um, for the for the buyers and people coming to the market. I mean, what was the mood like? You know, once they were able to come back in person. It's good, yeah. You know, it's uh, you can only talk to so many people on the phone or or things like that or Zoom calls, and to actually physically see people, it's nice to know that the world's still turning out there. Um, you know, and, and the mood is good, you know, it's as long as it's not raining too much, um, the, the mood is generally pretty good. Um, yeah, and it's just nice to sort of reaffirm those old sort of relationship friendships. Um, and, and people just like to talk business as well and share some problems. Uh, and there's a lot to be said for, for, you know, having a good chew and a brew at one of our sales, leaning on a tyre uh, and moaning about the price of wheat. Um, you know, it, it, it's good for the farming community, definitely. Thanks to Oliver. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of new episodes of Over the Farmgate. We'll be back next Tuesday. From all the team at Farmers Guardian, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.